Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Media Talk from The Guardian. I'm Mark Sweeney, and this week's programme comes to you from the Radio Festival 2013 in Salford. Coming up, Helen Bowden returns to radio. Digital technologies have disrupted our listeners' habits, our business models, and many of our approaches to broadcasting. One year on from several, Trust in the BBC is up for discussion again, and their director of radio sets the record straight on her involvement in the affair. Also this week... Since 1961, when I came on the world, you know, mankind walked on the moon eight years later. He's not a doctor and he's not a fox but he has had 30 years in the industry, and Neil Fox shares more of his thoughts on going national, women in radio, and how he is digital and social, later. Plus, we hear a lot of intelligent people talk about a lot of rude things. Listen to the afternoon play. I've had a fuck, a shit, and a wank, and it's not even been three o'clock in the afternoon. That's all on Media Talk at the Radio Festival from The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Salford Keys, a stone's throw from the BBC's North of England base in one direction and a stone's throw from the Coronation Street set in the other. And we're here for this year's gathering of radio industry grandees. Yes, the radio festival returns to the Lowry Arts Complex once more. Trust, Talent, Taste, Twitter and TalkSport were all headline sessions during the two-day festival and in a moment I'll be joined inside to pick through the highlights of it all by Paul Robinson, Radio Academy Chief Executive and Jane Garvey, presenter of Women's Hour on Radio 4 who is also one of the hosts of this year's festival. We'll start with the big session everyone was waiting for, Helen Bowden's first major speech since the Jimmy Savile affair a year ago which saw Director-General George Entwistle lose his job after just 54 days, and which set off a series of musical cheers at the top of the organisation. Bowden was here to set out her vision as the new Director of Radio. Are we reaching a moment when, for some audiences, audio alone, be it music or speech, simply isn't enough to keep their attention? For the first time at Glastonbury this year, we worked across television, radio and online to offer comprehensive coverage, allowing viewers and listeners to pick and choose the bands they wanted to hear at a time they wanted to hear them. All the music festivals covered by the BBC over this summer have shown a significant increase in streaming as people switch to video to see what previously they would only have heard. Now, we're thrilled to be able to offer this service but clearly it challenges the idea of radio being enough during the big musical events. Young people in particular are saturated with visual stimulus, and for some of them, the idea of radio as a stream of sound, however brilliantly presented as a one-to-one relationship, just isn't enough to keep them fully engaged. So with that in mind, Radio One has been experimenting with something we used to call visualisation for online consumption. Frankly, that's a bit of a pompous word for what the rest of us would call cheaper filming. So, Paul, you were attending Helen Bowden's speech yesterday. I wonder what you thought of it. Did she set out a vision as we expected? I think it was a very honest appraisal of the future of radio. I think she was very open about the challenges, you know, things, for example, basic things like how do we get DAB into cars. 
the whole issue about the government switchover and how we handle that, and you know, we're looking for some sort of announcement. And this is a, an issue that really is a BBC issue and a commercial radio issue, and she, she handled that head on and said, look, we need to have some guidance. Um, a third of listening is now digital, but we need to get 100% digital, and that's a big, big hill to climb. So I think she was very honest and very realistic about future. And what I did like about it was how she was very open about sharing the issues and the challenges that commercial radio and the BBC both share. And Jane, you also you interviewed her and the Q&A afterwards, which was quite illuminating about her recent past. Yes, well, um, there are questions that we didn't want to be too BBC navel-gazing because the rest of the audience just isn't interested, and I absolutely understand that. But there are some questions you have to ask Helen about what happened at Newsnight, what happened in her director of news role, and why she's come back to radio. And, of course, there is, there's no point pretending there was some resentment in radio that we were getting uh, somebody who left the job of controller of Radio 4 to go to the brilliant job of director of news, was then coming back to radio and possibly had some misgivings about it. There was a suggestion that maybe she was being shoved into a little bit of a corner in BBC terms and put into what many of us regard as a brilliant job as director of BBC Radio. So I think in fairness to her, she, she answered that. I think her answer was that she'd been a BBC good citizen. Now, I think there is a lot of evidence actually to back that up. In fairness to Helen, she is much liked as a manager. And that is a rarity, not just in the BBC, but probably everywhere. And just broad brush strokes, were you, were you impressed with her speech? I was. I mean, I've got, I've got two relatively young children and I, I do, and this has been a theme that's cropped up during the course of the radio festival about how you engage the younger generation with radio and I think Helen is as aware of that problem as anybody and that was illustrated in, in the speech she gave yesterday. Visualisation is really important. Greg James and his wrecking ball all very well but I was really surprised that over three million people are watching that. Not all of them know that Greg James is a Radio 1 presenter. It's unthinkable to someone of my generation who's the highlight of every year was the Radio 1 roadshow in Southport. We've, we have so moved on and we have got a massive challenge on our hands. There's no doubt about that. It's a live session on trust in the BBC over the last 12 months. And how has it been from the inside, Jane? The day I got a letter offering me a job at the BBC um, will remain one of the happiest days of my life. Very proud of the organisation. I think there's no doubt that the last couple of years have been pretty depressing. And the brand because that's what we are essentially, has been somewhat tarnished and hopefully things are changing. I mean, I've, I've certainly had a discussion with my editor about bullying uh, and about the way I have to behave at work. I, I don't think I'll go down as one of the BBC's bullies. I would be devastated if, that, if I was ever accused of that. But um, there is no doubt that there was an unpleasant culture operating in some parts of the BBC where certain people really did think they could behave in a particular way. And the BBC has now, perhaps better late than never, but it has now decided it can't go on and it will not be tolerated. And um, I am really happy that that's happened. After being shy about appearing at the festival in recent years, Ashley Table sat down with ex-BBC media correspondent Torin Douglas to discuss all things global radio. You went to the Competition Commission to uh, take over these other stations, GMG, and you were knocked back. How big a blow to you was that? What it boils down to, then, is local advertising. Think of the local advertiser, think of a local car dealership. You know, does he just look at the two or three radio stations in, in the area? 
Or does he think, I've got a finite budget here, I'm going to decide how to use it. My options are radio, but there's also local press, and there's bus sides, and there's you know, outdoor, and there's regional television, and local television on the way, and I haven't even yet got onto online, and Google, and Facebook, and all of the array of options that they've got. And our thing to the CC was, therefore, radio exists in a wider media market. Forget what you think of global and whether you like us or whether you're not so keen on us, and just get rid of all that and go, look, do you think that that advertiser has a wide array of options, or do you honestly believe that radio just competes with the other radio station in that area across the street? I mean, of course it doesn't. It's, it, it's, you know, it's really dated thinking, really dated. Paul, what do you think about what Ashley Tabor had to say about the Competition Commission investigation? The issue is entirely about local advertising. Do you believe that when a local garage or shop wants to advertise, that they will look at other options? Will they look at outdoor posters? Will they look at um, uh, press? Uh, or will they just look at radio? And the Competition Commission's view is it's radio competing with radio. And that does seem to me to be a very naive and wrong interpretation of how the market actually works. So I think Ashley's right. Um, I hope that the Competition Commission do understand and do see the arguments that uh, Ashley's put forward and that uh, merger takeover can go through. I think he argued it from a very dispassionate and very um, rational way and um, I think his case is very strong. As the situation stands, they've spent a lot of money so far on, on, on court action and fighting this. He said he's still delighted. Um, should he be delighted? High price, a lot of legal fees? I would say please maybe not delighted because he should be delighted maybe when the whole thing goes through. But the reality is that Smooth has now moved into the global building in Leicester Square. He's got to deal with the issue with the real radio stations, which he wants to turn into heart. And at the moment he can't do that. So that's the bit he's still got to do. So he's sort of got two thirds. And if two thirds is delight, that's absolutely fine. I think the more fundamental issue is that, you know, do you think that those stations on their own can do better in or outside global? And I believe that actually being part of global is better for them. And Jane, in a Q&A session, he sort of came back a little bit at what Charlotte Church and, and, and Jackie Smith have been saying and said, uh, we're, we're a meritocracy. That's while well, I run global. That's how it's going to be. You'll get the job if you deserve it. Yeah, um, I think there are some people who have slight misgivings about that. I listen to a lot of commercial radio as well as the BBC, and I do not hear that many female voices. And if I, and there aren't that many on LBC. I mean, there's Emma Julia Hartley-Brewer and Emma Barnett. Mm. And who else? Ashley's right and he's wrong in the sense that if you don't focus on it, nothing changes. You know, I think about the 30 under 30 from the Radio Academy. We had about 30% women, 70% men enter that. Now, that's not good enough. Yeah. You know, we need to get more people entering so we can have more people actually being 30 under 30s who are genuinely there, you know, male and female, on merit. So it's about focusing on it. If you don't focus focus on the issue, nothing will change. But at the end of the day, it has to be on merit. Of course it does. But it's about getting people to realise there could be a great opportunity in radio. And they're not coming forward because they don't hear women. I, exactly. I do actually think yeah. that's significant. And when I, I do. do hear women, if they're double-heading a breakfast show or at drive time, and that does happen, Heart, for example, has that format across a lot of its stations, doesn't it, all over the country, you, you know the man is driving the desk because he's the one who picks up out of the music she's, and she's there to laugh at him and to encourage him to do his thing. It's not the other way around. Well, the radio festival is always associated with Sound Woman, as we've just heard, and the campaign had a big boost on Monday when one-time voice of an angel Charlotte Church blasted music artists Miley Cyrus, Robin Thicke and Rihanna, staples of many of the playlists compiled by programmers in the room for the over-sexualization of female pop stars. It is interesting to note that anyone of any age has been able to watch Christina Aguilera's simulated masturbation in her dirty video on YouTube since the website began. 
And yet you must sign in to the site to prove your age if you wanted to watch Bjork's stunning video for pagan poetry. Whilst I would argue that neither videos are acceptable viewing for young eyes, I know which one I'd rather have to explain to my child. Whilst channels like YouTube and Vimeo have a responsibility in dealing with these issues, radio stations shouldn't think they are beyond criticism. As Tony Hall, the BBC's Director General, announces the new iPlayer channel for Radio 1, the question must be asked. Should programmers take into consideration the image of an artist when deciding whether to play and promote their music? Rihanna and Christina Aguilera are obviously very sort of, they seem very in control. That sort of goes against what she was saying. Uh, yeah, are they in control? I mean, I did, I think I asked her that. Um, it, it, I mean, I agree. I'm the mother of a teenage daughter. I, of course I agree with Charlotte Church. I don't want my children to see that. And actually, I don't want their, the boys of their age to see it either. But there's money to be made. Money has been made. And, you know, I do think some of those female performers have a responsibility to say, you're not going to tell me what to wear. The idea that women are not part of all this, are not complicit in all this, up to a point, it, 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 it's farcical. Women are involved here, and if women are concerned, then they should make a noise within these industries. If you know the artist has explicit videos, should the BBC, for example, think maybe we shouldn't be playing Rihanna so much? Even if you can only hear the audio track, you can find a video somewhere, and that's sort of promoting the whole thing. Is it a radio station's responsibility to effectively police what our children are seeing and hearing. I, I, I'm not sure that it is. I think parents have got responsibility as well. And I don't know what the answer is, but Charlotte, is that, again, we're talking about it, and that, that's got to be a start. I think, I think Jane is right, but I don't know what the answer is either, because um, even when I was at Radio 1, we used to think very carefully about what we playlist, and you have to be aware of the responsibility you carry. But on the other hand, you, know, you can't ban records or not play them, because if you do that, then kids are going to find them another way anyway. So it's very, very difficult. You've clearly got to try and work at uh, persuading artists not to behave in such a way that you have the problem in the first place. I worked at the Walt Disney Company and I remember when Britney Spears started appearing with those really sort of short tops. Um, I had a memo from Burbank saying you cannot put Britney Spears videos on Disney Channel anymore because you know this nakedness is just not appropriate and we had parents writing in saying I don't expect that from Disney. You know Disney, the Disney brand is safe and now you're putting this stuff on and you're destroying your brand. So I think there are some issues of responsibility. I thought Charlotte argued it very articulately. You know, she came across, I think, as very passionate. I'd like to have known why she didn't push back, you know, why she went along with it. And I think part of the answer is, the Rihanna question and so on, is actually it makes money. And what do they want most? Do they want to make money and have a successful career? Or do they want to portray themselves in the way that maybe women should be portrayed? And there's a trade-off there. And in the last 12 months for Sound Woman, uh, you've had an All Woman Today programme last week. Is that a pinnacle of achievement? Is the job done? Where does that sit? It's a really good... I mean, I, I'm one of a number of women who felt for a long time that the idea that women couldn't present that programme, bordering on farcical, it was, it was great to hear it. At the same time, there's that kind of, oh, why does it have to even be a story? And of course, with my Five Live head on, Five Live did that in the 1990s. I've presented with Victoria Derbyshire. Um, I've presented with Rachel Burden. I've presented with Asma Mia. Um, you know, all these things were happening quite a long time ago. I don't remember much attention being drawn to it. And I don't always think Five Live gets the credit for putting women on the air with other women on their own, you know, Sheila, Victoria, Anna Foster now as well. And it's fantastic, and they're brilliant broadcasters. 
they're not brilliant women broadcasters, they're just brilliant broadcasters. The doctor, formerly known as Fox, Neil Fox, was at the festival on Tuesday to spend an hour in conversation with Five Lives' Eleanor Oldroyd, an unexpected Fox fan. Before his session, I caught up with the former Pepsi chart presenter and pop idol judge, who now presents the breakfast show on London station Magic, and I asked him if his session would be an opportunity to reflect on that success. Well, do you know what? Look, I, I'm not very good at the past. You know, the past's gone. It's done, and it's been a blast, and I've had a great time, learnt lots, and, and the world's changed a lot. Radio's changed a lot in that time. It, it's far more about today and tomorrow, really, and what we're going to be doing um, in the future and how you know, I, as a presenter, can keep relevant for a future, how I can keep a great job, how I can help my station do better in the future. It's interesting, when you come to an event like this, you, people are talking about you know, change and how we must adapt and we mustn't be left behind. But you know, the great thing is, the world has changed so much. The world's changed, the world constantly changes. It changes on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. So it's not like only radio or only technology has changed. So things have been changing for ever since I was born as a child, you know, since 1961 when I came on the world, you know. Mankind walked on the moon eight years later. Now we've got space shuttles. Now people, you know, so things happen and suddenly they become a norm. So what's an example of how you've sort of adapted or what, what you've taken on board to, to, you said, to keep yourself relevant going forward? Yeah. Look, when I started out in broadcasting, I was on the radio. The only way people could meet me or I could meet them was if I went to, we did an outside broadcast or went to a fete or did a nightclub appearance. Right now, um, on my show, I can tweet people, Facebook people, um, they can do the same with me. So it can be a very much an interactive thing. If I've got a guest on my show, I can do a great silly picture. Here's me and Robbie Williams this morning. Have a look at this one, guys. They can see what's going on. There's so much more that they can do to be interactive with what we're doing. Um, so, and that makes it exciting. That means we can actually touch our audience far more, let them know what we're doing. When I was at university and they're talking, you know, I did a business degree, it's what I would have called direct marketing. Now, Charlotte Church and Jackie Smith have talked about the issue of women and representation in the industry and also yep. image. You've had a 30-year career. Yep. Uh, Jackie Smith just, just before was saying it, it's too slow, things just aren't happening. You've had 30 years of it. What do you think? What, for women in the industry? Yeah, women in terms of well, you know, I, I thought it was management very... presented. Let's look at one side of that, and that's whether they're getting the jobs. Uh, for example, Ashley Tabor made a really interesting point today that he doesn't want anyone to get a job unless they're the right person for the job. Uh, and I think that's right. And I think it, you shouldn't, uh, uh, positive discrimination I find annoying in many areas. But I think there are some really great females out there running stations, on air, sales, in all areas, production, that um, sometimes, um, if you actually look to the numbers now, they're a huge amount. <laughs> Sadly, where there so aren't many is in politics. Issue. Well, I don't say, I, you know, I look at, I look at uh, our radio station, you know, we've got four female presenters on Magic who are all fantastic, who are doing a great job. We've got, um, we've got two brilliant female producers. Uh, my managing director who employed me at Magic was a female who went on to run EMI, Andrea Fiddler. So I've had some really strong, powerful, very successful women from the first time I arrived at Capital Radio, which was in 1987. My first producer was a brilliant woman called Carol Straker who had come from the BBC. So I've been, my mother-in-law was a brilliantly, um, a brilliant sports producer at Radio 5. You know, I've been surrounded by some really good, strong women who have been great at their jobs. We need more of it. Clearly we need more of it. I think it's getting better. I think there was, there was a danger many years ago where maybe you could have said it was a very male-dominated industry. But you know what? Things are changing, and that's good. Now, you've, you've never had a, a daily national show. Would you fancy a move to a national? 
What's interesting, look, I think, you know, magic will become national, there's no doubt. And I think that that will be a very exciting move, having done 11 years of doing the Pepsi chart, which was obviously a, a, a big national sort of gig. That was superb. Uh, yeah, look, of course, I, I love broadcasting and I love a, the biggest audience you can possibly achieve. So, yes, it'd be great to have a, a daily national show. And I think probably next year I'll have one. We needed to get rid of that because that suddenly uh, turned into something we were not... Well, we were expecting it and asked them not to do it and they did it anyway. So That's Sheila Fogarty losing her cool as Rage Against the Machine dropped the F-bomb on her Five Live breakfast show in 2009. She appeared with LBC's Nick Ferrari on a panel to discuss taste and decency and whether broadcasters are too quick to apologise on issues such as Robbie Fowler's comments about fighting girls, John Invidal's thoughts on Mariam Bartoli and Colin Murray's gaffe about turning round Claire Balding. When we met up after the session, Sheila started by explaining to me the decisions around taste and decency that go through her head as a presenter. In the kind of work I do, BBC News and Current Affairs, broadcasting largely to a family base, you know, no particular age group, um, just common sense tells you not to swear. Common sense tells you that you should keep innuendo to a minimum, but not sexual innuendo to a minimum. If somebody raises it, don't just close them down, but handle it deftly maybe and move on, that kind of thing. And just be aware of the kind of conversation that you're having and with whom and who it's for. That's, that, that's my own rule. That's got nothing to do with BBC books and compliances, but that's my own rule really. But your worst moment? Um, my worst moment just in terms of hearing so many swear words on my programme one after the other was the Rage Against the Machine moment. We asked them, the, God, the, the, the pre-production that went into it was extraordinary, that, that it actually cataclysmically failed, didn't surprise me in the least, because the clue is in the name, Rage Against the Machine, anarchic rock band. Please don't swear, said the BBC, and lo and behold, they said the F word four or five times. That was pretty bad, just in terms of handling that many F words in one go. But I've had one or two moments myself, when I was um, with Nicky Campbell, we were, it was harmless really, but it was a bit, did I really just say that? Um, we were talking about the chef de mission for the Olympics, and we were playing this silly game, what if everybody's job title was chef to something, you know? And he said, what would our job be, Sheila? And I said, chef to shit chat? Just keeping the sh sound of the French. And anyway, so I just said shit chat on breakfast radio when kids are in cars going to school. So that wasn't great, but it wasn't, not sackable. That's the main thing, not sackable. Uh, Nick, so the biggest gaffe in the career of compliance? Oh yeah, well, it was actually my time with the BBC, not what I do at LBC, and I was doing some freelancing, and my only excuse is I was working very hard. And we were doing a piece about um, foot and mouth striking Britain. And I suddenly went on the sort of rant for which I'm known and loved, and indeed occasionally even get awards. And I started saying, this country is disgraceful, what has Tony Blair let happen? The stench of burning cattle is filling the skies, tourists are coming in there, choking on the fumes. And a producer, BBC Five Live producer, of course, something of which they're so keen and aware, calls into my headphones, balance, and I'm stuck. And all I can think of to say, it's true, is, but don't his children look nice? I, I didn't get a lot of Five Live work after that. Airwaves too compliant now? What do you think? Are we, are we all too compliant these days? I think we're too jittery these days. You know, compliance should mean something. It should mean that everybody is broadly agreeing that you, there are certain things that go too far in a general arena like the radio or television. Um, but I think we're too jittery sometimes. And I think the Robbie Fowler case recently was an example of that. He used the term fight like a girl, ended up apologising left, right and centre. A couple of months before when a mouse appeared in my studio and I referred back to it later and said I squealed like a girl. 
not a whisper, not a problem. So what's the difference if Robbie Fowler says it or if I say it, you know? Yep. You obviously think that was a step too far, that it was a completely ridiculous situation. Robbie Fowler is a fantastic example, I think, of where the apology actually goes far further than any offence, and I don't think there was, and you lose sight of it. Let's remind ourselves, Robbie Fowler got into hot water wrongly for saying that two players fought like girls. One did actually scratch the other one's face, so he said that they fought like girls. His apology actually included, I want to apologise to women's football, I'm a great fan of it, and I'm going to see a game this weekend. He never even talked about women's football. This is a classic knee-jerk reaction of a concerned production department, an editor or producer. They just go too far. And you mentioned maybe social media. You think things catch like wildfire now. Well, this is the truth of the matter. I wonder if how many people actually did see Robbie Fowler make that comment. John Inverdale and the comment about the female uh, tennis player. Various other ones. We've got a, a, an ITV commentator who's in trouble for talking about the poach. I think now, and this is something that radio and Twitter have got to figure out between them. It's like almost like warring partners. Because a Twitter storm can be created very, very easily. People have not heard it. They've certainly not heard the context. They just hear there's something and they join in. It's, it's like a sort of good old-fashioned house burning or something like that. Sheila Fogarty and Nick Ferrari being quite distasteful at the radio festival. Now just before we wrap things up, let's get the take of the Radio Academy's chairman. Ben Cooper is controller of Radio One and One Extra and took up the chair of the Academy in April. This is his first year he has been in charge of the event, so I asked him how it's gone. I think it's been one of the best festivals that I've ever been to to be perfectly honest with you. I think the standard of discussion, the level of debate, has gone up about three or four notches from previous years. And uh, I'm just really, really pleased that the industry didn't uh, sort of uh, go all doom and gloom on itself. It actually celebrated and was inspiring. And Charlotte Church, she opened up more than a few issues and a few talking points. Uh, what did you make of what she had to say about over-sexualisation? And she did say, radio is not off the hook, you've got a role to play. Well, absolutely. We take our role very, very seriously in radio. And, you know, whether it um, be the swearing in tracks or the, the imagery in tracks, we are making editorial, difficult editorial decisions day in, day out about the content of the records that we play. Um, I think uh, it was brilliant that she was able to come and be so uh, open and, and, and again, it sort of, um, she was really talking from the heart. I thought there was a very particular moment uh, when she was talking about sort of grown men uh, talking in front of her about her image and uh, sort of whether or not she should wear a revealing top and stuff. And I just thought that, that was incredibly powerful to get that sort of testimony from her. So Charlotte raised the idea that maybe radio should play less tracks of artists who are known for, for having very outrageous and risque videos because in a way you are promoting them to, to giant audiences being the BBC. Is, is that an unrealistic idea? I think it's a, a very complex and um, difficult argument or conversation to get into. You know, we make sure that we make the tracks, the audible tracks, appropriate for the right audiences at the right time of day. And for us then to start censoring the audio because of how those tracks are depicted on another platform that's really quite a sensitive and difficult area to get into, but I think one to certainly discuss with my core team of, of how we, we go forward on that. Ben Cooper on Radio's exciting future. And that's it for Media Talk in Salford. I'm Mark Sweeney and the programme was produced by Scott Corley. 
The last word is about your regular Media Talk host. Congratulations to John Plunkett, who would normally be here, but has been on paternity duties this week. And if he can tear himself away from fun kids on DAB, we hope he'll be able to bring us his new baby son's opinions on Digital Switchover next week. Thanks for listening.